Welcome to this podcast for Classical 91.5. I'm Julia Figueres. 2020 is the year of Beethoven's 250, and this week, your Rochester Philharmonic Orchestra supplies us with a double dose, along with Poulenc and Prokofiev pieces. Returning to the stage is guest conductor Fabian Gabel, and so great to have you back in our studios. Welcome Hello. back. And making his debut with the RPO, which is very exciting, is pianist Yuho Pokhnonen. So uh, greetings and welcome to our studios as well. Hello. Let's uh, begin with this program, very clever program. Um, how much of it did you have a hand in, uh, Fabian? How much of it did you program? Oh, uh, mostly the second half. Uh, because that's the symphonic part and uh, uh, how it works usually uh, when you're a guest conductor there's a guest artist a guest soloist too and uh, and uh, of course I was asked uh, um, to choose a soloist and uh, and um, whose name was mentioned to me and I immediately accepted to to uh, make music with him again because we met two years ago in Cleveland and uh, and I adored our collaboration he's a phenomenal pianist a great musician great artist so uh, of course he had uh, the choice to to play uh, what he wanted and uh, he submitted uh, the, the Beethoven first piano concerto and of course that's one of my favorite piano concerto and I was asked to to uh, conduct also an overture so that's uh, I chose Egmont because maybe that's the with Coriolan the most famous Beethoven overture and that's a very strong piece of music too so that's how the the program is articulated so let's let's take our stroll through the um, program starting with the Egmont overture um, it was written after Napoleon's occupation of Vienna had just ended and Vienna was devastated. So it really feels appropriate that um, Beethoven sent the music to Goethe's play about the Spanish oppression of the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. um, and and uh, it was a subject, obviously, oppressors and oppression uh, were, it was a subject very dear to Beethoven's heart and what he did when he with the Eroica and Eroica and uh, he scratched. Of course, he was so disappointed uh, he was a b big uh, fan of the French Revolution, and uh, and also when Napoleon um, became emperor, I mean, he, I don't know how you say in English. He declared, uh, he himself. declared himself an emperor. Is uh, Beethoven's hopes were uh, um, dead actually? And uh, he composed the, the Heroica Symphony, and it was dedicated to Napoleon and uh, Napoleon Bonarpa Bonaparte. And uh, of course, he scratches the sc scratched the, the 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 dedication. And and uh, but I think in his mind, he always had some uh, admiration for Napoleon for what he did before uh, he self declared. Uh, uh, emperor, and then it all fell apart. Yeah. So, so the Egmont Overture um, is—it's is, a heroic subject. Um, if, if you could sort of tell us about the arc of the overture, this is overture shifts between minor and major and dark and light. 
Oh, it's it's mainly minor, and the f there, there are three parts: the introduction, which is very, uh, I would say, it starts with a, with a um, unisozo F note f with the, the orchestra, and it's very heavy. Not heavy in in uh, musically, but heavy, you know, uh, for the, the the atmosphere of the piece. And uh, after that, there's an allegro. And uh, which is uh, very, it, it's very, uh, it's like very anguished music. And the last part is in F major. And uh, so it's a uh, 10 minutes uh, overture. It's maybe one of the most popular bit, uh, popular overture. It's often, very often play, always difficult to play, uh, always difficult to convey a message to the orchestra and also to the audience and uh, but that's a great showpiece for the orchestra too I understand you're having the horns do something kind of interesting <laughs> in <laughs> this <laughs> no no uh, I asked them you know the at that time the, the horns like the trumpets they, they didn't have valves so they used to play nat what we call natural horns and it these horns had a special sound, much more brassy, but also with stopped no stopped knot, and uh, I think it changed completely the color of the music when they're playing. How Beethoven used uh, used the, that instrument, these instruments in the past. So that's why I'm, I asked them because with the modern horns you can also. Um, play like a natural horn so I asked them to play that way uh, it was maybe <laughs> a little bit surprising for them bec because maybe they don't uh, they are not asked to do to play like this uh, quite often but the but it sounds great and um, there are more colors in the, in, in, in the orchestra and of course because of that and of course certainly at the end um, for the big victory yes it's, it's like the the the, 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 the Yes, it's glorious. It sounds glorious like this. So you follow up with yet some more Beethoven. This time around uh, is, is Beethoven's Piano Concerto Number no. One, um, which, uh, if the if the concerto ends with that big martial horn sound, this begins with a big martial horn sound. Oh yes, um, really. Well, I mean, there's. <laughs> it has a big, it, I mean, a big sound. You're you're not yes. playing for a while. I'm not playing for a while. It, I think it begins it's actually kind of quietly, but then, of course, when the tutti, the the first enters, fort fortissimo is massive, you know. Oh yes, and, yeah. and, uh, and brassy also with timpani, but it starts very quietly, and uh, it's like chamber music. It's very intimate. And, and actually, also the piano part starts similarly. So yeah. the very first entrance of the piano is kind of shy actually yeah. and then only after the very first entrance the fireworks kind of start. Is yeah. that common um, in a concerto for the pianist, the soloist, to sit there that long waiting to come in because it does take a few minutes before oh, yeah, it's like you creep in the door. Four or five minutes yeah. almost. <laughs> yeah. um, in some concertos yes but I don't think that long is maybe not as usual as the fifth Maybe the fifth, fifth uh, concerto, the emperor concerto, maybe, and also uh, also the third, I would say. I mean, in Beethoven, yeah, Beethoven concerto. 
Yes, but isn't like the Emperor Concerto, there's a little introduction in piano. Yes, the other kind of the very, very kind beginning, of that's true. That's true. And of course, fourth concerto starts no. with the piano <laughs> the solo. Piano, yeah. So uh, why do you um, why do you like this concerto? This is um, y- you picked it. So why did you do that? Why did I do that? Well, of course, the orchestra. I think they asked me to do a Beethoven concerto, and uh, I'm not sure if I chose this one or Beethoven four, but at some point I think I changed it to to number one, and. Uh, I mean, I can't really choose what's my favorite Beethoven piano concerto to play. Um, What I like about this piece is that it's, I I would say it's less serious than Beethoven normally is. I mean, it's very youthful. He was 30 years old when he finalized this piece. I think he composed it even earlier, but then he revised it. And um, it's, I mean, it's just very witty in a way but in a I mean it 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 has depth for sure but it's not all about very kind of deep thinking and deep thoughts and deep questions about life but it's also about like like joie de vivre and kind of just enjoying especially especially the last movement the first movement is massive I mean it's it's about half of the the, the uh, concerto is, the, is that first movement. Oh, yeah, yes. It's almost a concerto unto itself. And the cadenza, which I'm going to play by Beethoven, he composed it much later. So it actually, Beethoven uses much bigger range of keyboard, for instance, and also the range of expression is much higher. In actually that cadenza, he has much more dramatic kind of um, way of speaking through music. So there's more than one cadenza for this? There are three by Beethoven. I think they were published together at the same time. Um, There's one small, (laughs) and then one medium size, and then one large cadenza, and I'm doing the large one. Of course you are. You know... Go for it, right? Of course. <laughs> but that's also another five minutes of music, so <laughs> it's going to be a very long first movement. So after that first movement is a very long, actually very long second movement as well. Not quite as long as the first, but that second movement is so beautiful. Oh, yeah, it's like poetic. the heart of the piece. And the dialogue between the piano and, and the clarinet. There's an amazing first clarinet part, and, and it's... a constant dialogue and it's uh, very beautiful mm. yeah. but even that moment it, I, for myself it has kind of warmth and kind of joy joy, joy joyousness or I- built into it and it's not like like uh, say the Archduke trio slow mm. moment which is so sacred and in character and almost like holy I think this is more about happiness than than kind of I don't know. <laughs> love, perhaps? Yes, happiness, love, and well-being, almost. Yeah, and, and it, it's um, really exquisite. And then it leads to that third movement, which is just nothing but a romp. I mean, oh, yeah. it's all good fun. Uh, it has elements of, uh, like, the Turkish rondo from Mozart. I mean, it's a similar kind of rhythmic structure mm. and, and feeling also. Of course, this is in major key, in a parallel key. How much 
after Mozart's death was this written? Seven years, something like that. Yes. So, so I think, yeah, I think he conceived this work even earlier. Like in, in 1998, something, or 96, maybe. 1996 maybe. could yeah. be. So, so four years after. It's, 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 it's very um, uh, inspi influenced by, by Mozart. And Haydn also. And Haydn, yes, yeah. of course. The, the flavor of Mozart is never too far away, but especially in that last movement, in that final movement, has mm. all that feeling of Haydn or Mozart oh, yeah. to it. Um, so um, when you play Beethoven, can you tell that it was written by a pianist, Yuho, as opposed to a violinist who is writing for piano? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, of course, most piano concertos, they are written by pianists. And... Uh, I think Beethoven, uh, he didn't much care about how well his music fits on the key piano keyboard. So especially many of his later works are actually quite awkward to play on piano because he really doesn't consider the keyboard as the means of expression, but he's really focused on the music itself. Unlike, say, Mendelssohn, whose music is always so pianistic. It sounds like very difficult, mm. but actually it's so easy to play. And Beethoven is totally unlike that. You play a lot of Grieg. Um, Grieg fits under your hands well? Yes, even though, I mean, he was a great pianist. There are some recordings of Grieg playing his own works and it's amazing. But but I think Grieg was more like a, like Chopin, so, so he was more uh, of a, like a poet of keyboard instead of a technician. So when he wrote some virtuoso pieces for piano, they the technique involved is not actually so easy. It doesn't like it's just hard to accomplish on piano well. You also do because I, I looked at your schedule and you're doing you know when I look at a lot of schedules there's often like one concerto after another you do an awful lot of chamber music on your touring. Oh yeah, I I really love chamber music. It's I mean together like with playing concertos it's my favorite. I'm to say that. You were make you were making <laughs> Fabian very nervous for. No a no no, no. we're I doing chamber music in a way. Yes, I mean uh, it's with a. <laughs> big ensemble. Yeah, I mean, for myself, the most challenging thing is actually to play a piano solo recital, and playing a concerto feels like making chamber music with just a very big ensemble. And the the middle movement, especially of of your Beethoven concerto, especially has that chamber music feel to it. I, I think I think Beethoven's slow movements often do, uh, and his all five of them have that feel like it's. It's more chamber mm. music than orchestral. Maybe except the fourth. The, the mm. Oh, yes. With yeah, the dialogue with the, it's, it's, it's smaller dialogue, it's for sure. It's different with this only the strings and, and uh, mm. with the, 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 the monody. Yes. So. Th I think maybe, I mean, the, the, that concerto feels like chamber music. It's a kind of a relic from mm. Haydn and Mozart because their concerto writing is very much like chamber music. You've had master classes with really brilliant pianists, Sarandra Schiff and Leon Fleischer, Barry Douglas, just to name a few. What have you learned um, from these master classes as you work with these these 
brilliant pianists, and uh, I understand you're a brilliant pianist yourself. What do you learn in those classes that you, you can take away and use? Well, that's a good question, because on most master classes, <laughs> the students are so nervous that they don't actually learn anything. <laughs> so they just want to play as, as well as they can. But um, I think from Schiff, probably, I learned about just phrasing, like that's consistent with the text of the music, but also expressive. Um, I mean, he has a great attitude towards music, so he really doesn't put himself on top of the music, but considers that the music is kind of the highest priority. And the personal expression is kind of, has always to be in terms of music. Um, but of course, when you listen just to some great pianists play, they all have their own individual ways of playing the piano. And it's something you cannot really describe in words, but once you hear them close nearby and you can watch them play, you kind of pick up some some hints about what they are doing. You know, there was, for, for many years, it was um, the Russian school of, pl of piano playing, the French school, um, but with sort of this f flattening with, with compact discs and, and recordings and everything being so readily available today, do you still hear this personality, I will ask you this too, this, this national personality of playing when it comes to piano, or is that dying out? For me, it's dying out. I think now there's kind of international school of piano playing where everything's yes, very precise. in uh, music too. Mm. Orchestras too, I mean, except few uh, top orchestras or now I can, s for, for, for example, in France, uh, 40 years ago, the sound of the French orchestra was completely different. And also the French pianist. And the, yeah. I really adore the old French piano yes. school. And, and, uh, but the, 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 the way of playing now, it's more, uh, um, more international and, and uh, especially with the winds, it was one of our quality, you know, the French school of uh, the, 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 the winds. And now they are still very good, but uh, when you listen to a, a reco recording, you cannot make any difference between German mm. oboist or a French oboist. And also, some Germ many Germans, uh, German oboists come to France to study, and many French oboists go to Germany mm. also. Mm. And uh, so, it's globalization. I think what is important is to serve the music you're playing. Uh, because sometimes I listened to some reco um, recordings, German music recorded by uh, a French orchestra. I mean, it doesn't sound good to me. Uh, so, because they had this specificity of French sound, but now nowadays it's different. You can uh, uh, a French orchestra can play very well the Brahms symphony, and uh, and a German orchestra can play very well French music. There's no and and that's what matters to me, uh, to 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 serve the style and the composer. Of course, we we are we are not robots. We have different personalities and and uh, but we have to serve music first.
The, uh, this week is in part about the power of Beethoven, um, with these two works being performed. And as we go into this year of Beethoven at 250, what, what does Beethoven mean to you? Um, Hugo? Well, um, for me, it's really like the pinnacle of, of, of the, like just the <laughs> composers in, in general. I mean, there's, he has such, like th there's a feeling of human effort that's like beyond anything, anybody else and such perfection like combined. I mean, if you compare it to Mozart, it's so different mm. because Mozart is so natural. I mean, he's writing just flows and Beethoven is, he spends so much thought and effort about what he's writing and it's so, just so, so complex on many levels. The characters have so complex, I mean, there's so many dimensions in his music and I just adore it myself. Fabian? Yeah, me, uh, me too. It, I, it, as a conductor, um, Beethoven is the bass. Every, every conductor has to know the, 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 the nine symphonies and uh, I think that's uh, how we should start, uh, start with the symphonies. That's the, the, the it's a Bible for us. But also the, 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 the piano music. I, I play the piano and I adore the sonatas, the chamber music, the late, I mean the quartets, but the late quartets as well. But the concerti, the violin concerto is my, f my favorite violin concerto. It's a, uh, uh, and his music is uh, so human. And, uh, and um, you're right, Yuhu, when you said it's not flowing like Mozart. Mozart was a genius. Beethoven was uh, Mozart was a genius and a prodigy. Beethoven Beethoven wasn't a prodigy and wasn't a, a genius in a way mm. Mm. Uh, compared to Mozart, but uh, or Mendelssohn. And uh, when you look at the the sketches of his music, I mean it's unbelievable. You cannot read. Uh, it changed so many times. Uh, I respect so much the work of the musicologist on on, on that because it's so difficult. And I remember once I uh, I, w I was in Bonn in the Beethoven house in, in so in his uh, birthplace, and so there's a museum and some archives and and uh, I was lucky enough to be sh they, they show uh, show me the, 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 the some sketches and and the pastoral symphony. And it's the pastoral symphony. You can read it, but there are some mistakes. But some uh, sketches from the ninth symphony, you, it's impossible to read. Impossible to read. The guy was constantly searching, fighting uh, against everyone, but against himself mm -hmm. too. So the second half of the program uh, have has two pieces of music. This is this is. Um, the uh, part that you, you really had a hand on, both of these pieces in the second half were almost at the same time, written almost yep. right around the same time, the Poulenc and uh, the Prokofiev. Uh, I've never heard Les Animo Model, never. And there are almost no recordings of it. So this is, yeah. uh, this is kind of a treat for us. Yeah, because... Um, 
you know, to, to, nowadays we tend to to reduce our uh, musical spectrum. You know, we want to do always the same thing, and we are not curious enough, and we don't want to to discover or uh, we are not curious. Me, I'm a curious person in every field and especially of uh, of course especially in the music and uh, and the, 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 the repertoire is so wide we have to explore new things and of course I'm as a French conductor I'm asked to do French music quite often but m most of the time I'm, as I'm asked to do Debussy and Ravel for many people French music is that's uh, is only about Debussy and Ravel a little bit of Berlioz, but not too much. <laughs> so, uh, of course, the repertoire is quite limited in a way because Debussy wrote uh, uh, a few pieces for orchestra like Ravel. But the music musical substance is enormous, and and uh, so that's how I decided I I would like to ex um, I wanted to explore new things. And uh, of course, I knew Poulenc as uh, uh, I played the piano a little bit. So I played some of his pieces. I knew some vocal works like the the Stabat Mater and the Gloria. Uh, Gloria, and I also played the the opera, the Le Dialogue des Carmelites. And uh, I was looking for new pieces uh, to add uh, to my repertoire. And I must say that I discovered. Uh, um, the two ballets, Les Biches mm -hmm. and Les Animaux Modèles. And these two pieces are, these ballets, two ballets are simply amazing. Uh, it's musically, I'm, I would say it's not complicated, but it's so enjoyable to play, so enjoyable to play and to listen. And uh, it's just some music which makes you happy. And uh, in spite of the context of Les Animaux Model in the 19, in uh, 1942, which is difficult time, you know, it was difficult time in France during op uh, German occupation. But the music is so lighthearted and it's unbelievable to write this kind of music uh, in such a dark period, you know. It's an interesting piece. Um, a lot of times when I listen to Poulenc, I always feel like he's winking at us. He's smiling mm -hmm. and winking. But this seems to bounce between full-out romantic yeah. and winks. Sometimes it feels very straight-ahead romantic, especially the opening and mm. the closing. And then, like, the roosters. The, yeah. it's, it's very, very funny. You yeah, can it's just, funny. You can hear him laughing and winking as he wrote it. But I, c I cannot remember who said that, but he was, uh, he was called half evil, half monk. And that's exactly what he, uh, how how he, he was. Uh, he was he was very friv frivolous, you frivolous. say, frivolous, and uh, but also very later in his life very religious. But he always shared his life between these two uh, aspects, you know, of his personality. But um, I love his music and, and the the the. the Dramatic music is absolutely stunning, too. Yuho, you said you really love the um, French pianists, um, the the early French pianists. Do you play Poulenc at all? Oh, yeah. I quite recently did a piece for piano, small orchestra, Obad. Oh, Obad is great. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. It's also a ballet, right? It's a ballet, yeah. Yes. And um, do you like, do you enjoy, because he was a very good pianist as well, so. Uh, playing it, Polak is like playing Mozart, but <laughs> I mean, it's, it's kind of neoclassical in many ways. Yeah. And his writing, piano writing especially, is very inspired by all the figurations in Mozart. So it's, it's so refreshing to kind of apply the things you know about classical music, but to find totally different and new colors for the music. Is there, you can fess up, is there a piano a composer a piano that you just don't really enjoy playing? That I don't really enjoy. Uh, let's say list. It's too kind of self-consciously virtuosic. Of course, late works are different, but but yeah. Well, it's just a personal opinion for me. So please, uh, if you're going to book you home, take no no list. <laughs> list <of> consciousness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, back to for just a moment of Les Animaux Modèles. It's um, a set of fables and uh, fairy tales, as it were, with a great cast of characters: uh, an aging ballerina, an amorous lion who's a pimp. Um, there's the Duchess with a mask. There's a sense about this that somehow, well, it, it certainly does have a feeling of crossing over into that Dada Sati um, Cocteau hmm. era I, as well. I think he, he used the, 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 the Jean de La Fontaine uh, fable um, poems, uh, but he made an, argu uh, an argument, a synopsis of this. When you read the synopsis, um, it's, uh, yes, it's surrealistic. But uh, that's it. There's, there's no uh, um, dramatic uh, substance. The dramatic substance is the context where uh, where uh, it was cr first performed. I mentioned to to the orchestra um, that the Les Animaux Modèles was the first piece of music uh, which has been declared as a Re, um, an act of resistance during the war because in the piece Le Lion Amoureux um, Poulin quotes a famous anti-Germanic uh, tune Fr uh, you know <laughs> we, we friends had uh, we had three wars <laughs> in less than uh, 60 or 70 years with Germany so there was a f uh, very anti-Germanic feeling, you know, uh, especially um, from the 1870. And uh, so what is interesting, he, he composed this, uh, uh, this movement with this famous quote, and it was first performed. The audience was full of German officers. And nobody, in, of course, in the audience, in the attendance, the concert goer, who were exclusively Germans, nobody noticed that. So it was, it's amazing that the, the ignorance, <laughs> the ignorance of German officers, and, uh, and he repeats and repeats and repeats for three minutes the, the same tune, uh, which is uh, yes, anti-Germanic, so it's, uh, it's quite funny. 
And uh, I'm sure that the message was not missed by any of the French people in the audience that night yeah. or any night after that. The other piece that's on this is Prokofiev's Suite to War and Peace, which was also written uh, during World War mm-hmm. II, just about the same time as Poulenc's um, ballet, and it was directly inspired by Germany's invasion of the Soviet Union. Yeah, I'm, I'm, of course, the context is the same, and, and, and there's a parallel between uh, the Nazis' aggression and uh, the, 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 the Napoleon's aggression against uh, against the Russian people, and War in, War in Peace is about the the the, the um, try the the the, 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 the 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 it was about the 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 attempt by Napoleon to invade uh, um, Russia, and of course we know how it ended and uh, but the music is absolutely amazing the opera is great i played it i played it uh, as a not as a conductor but as, as a trumpet player and it's a incredible uh, piece of music but with so many many characters i mean there are more than 40 uh, soloists it's unbelievable and uh, this suite was assembled by uh, an american uh, composer Christopher Palmer, a uh, few, I mean, quite, uh, yeah, many years ago, but it's rarely played. So there's no really, um, it's diffi- the, the opera is so long, it's difficult to, to sum up the, the, the opera in a suite which lasts 25 minutes, but we just have to enjoy the, the musical substance of it, of course. And uh, it's brilliant. It's virtuous for the orchestra, and uh, it's it's an amazing showpiece for the orchestra. And nobody is ever going to see that 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 opera done. That opera is, is they have tempted it so many times, and I think there our chances to ever see War and Peace the opera is, are probably very slim. Yeah, I think so. Except maybe in the Russia. Or <laughs> yeah. So many people, like you said, so long. Um, well, I want to thank you both for, for coming in. It's, it's, it's a fascinating show, and it's, uh, you know, there's so much about the music that's about rising above oppression uh, yeah. through, from, from every single piece in the program for the concert. And um, I you know, thank you both for stopping in and, and chatting with us. It's very nice of you. Um, Fabian Gabel and Juho Pochnen, we're talking with me. I'm Julia Figueres, and if you'd like some information about the Rochester Philharmonic season, you can go to rpo.org. This podcast is a production of WXXI Public Broadcasting.